since brevity is the soul of wit. More of your conversation would infect my brain. Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? To speak of him as my kinsman, he's a most notable coward, an infinite and endless liar, an hourly promise breaker, the owner of no one good quality worthy your lordship's entertained. I'd beat thee, but I should infect my hand. The lady doth protest too much, methinks. The course of true love never did run smooth. I'm Eden. I'm Lindsay. And this is the Bix Pod. And we are here to discuss All's Well That Ends Well. Mm-hmm. A pr- bit of a problem comedy from yeah. the early 1600s that, uh, I don't know, Aiden, I guess uh, I struggled with it a little bit. I did not. You didn't. I, I thought it was quite, uh, I would say modern, but not really. It's very... It's a very confused play, I will grant it that, mm-hmm. but I found it, it's very easy to follow. There's there's not too many characters, really, and everyone's motivations are pretty clear, um, and it's just like the the wheel that they kind of go on to arrive kind of back where they started. It's it's a, it's a strange play, I'll definitely grant it that. The very fact that so. you called it a problematic comedy yeah. uh, is kind of indicative, because it is much more comedic than it is dramatic, I guess. Really? But... Maybe not. Really? Yeah, there's some there's some drama. Interrogative. But there's there's no there's no deaths really. <laughs> no, no, but, but we'll, we'll we'll talk about yeah. that. I think I think the first thing we have to do, obviously, and and it is your turn to do it. Yeah, this way. It's yeah. The, uh, I'm not looking forward. Thirty to this. second synopsis. We're never looking forward to this. The, when well, has there ever been a time? Why that do we like, do it yes. then? We we decide the rules of this podcast. We can change them anytime we want. Yeah, but it's. It's just how it is now. It's tradition. It's tradition. Because <laughs> we're all in Fiddler on the Roof, I guess. Yes. Um, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly ready, I think. You tell me when. Go. Helen, the daughter of a doctor, wants to marry Bertram, who's a count. And obviously they can't get married, except for the king of France uh, is sick. And Helen can cure him. And when she does so, he gives her Bertram uh, as like a prize. Except for Bertram still doesn't want to marry her. So he goes off to fight in the wars in Italy. And uh, she kind of follows him and tricks him into thinking that she he's sleeping with someone else but he's sleeping with her and he gives her a kid and then she steals his ring and then he comes back and everybody in the face of the king god damn it it. (laughs) sorry i was getting close there on that one i felt like yeah i thought i I was waiting for like the the final triumphant like it's done and uh hilarity ensues was gonna be where i I landed (laughs) up but uh no there there was there's less hilarity less hilarity Um, ensuing yeah but the end of the end of the end of the play uh, brings all's well that ends well into sort of crystal clarity because mm. I think it'll be the it's the question we're going to be tackling in our ancient bickerings today. Yeah. Is it all really well <laughs> it, that yeah. ends well? Has the is the end well? I guess you could summarize, and yeah. it's it's questionable. But because uh, Bertram ends up staying with Helena because he's yes. impressed by her ingenuity. I Maybe. guess the, he gets two lines when he finds out that she's done all this kind of trickery yes. to him. I will love her ever, ever deeply, I believe yeah, is the, yeah. the line, one of them. Yeah. And uh, and there's some debate about what that might actually mean. mean. Stuff, yeah. Um, and then there's, you know, the king offering Diana a, 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 the secondary character who yeah, tricks Bertram into sleeping with Helena yeah. in another bed trick scenario. Yeah. Um, he kind of offers her the same deal that he offered Helena like if you know I'll give you any guy it's like that's how the play ends it almost feels like it's setting up for a sequel that nobody would want (laughs) I guess because this one went so well none ends well that never started good (laughs) all's well that ends weller no I guess so I mean too well too ended no okay i'll stop we should just go with fast and furious sequels <laughs> of course sure. um so yeah a bit of background on the play itself it uh was probably written between 1603 and 1606 um it was published in the folio uh that's where the only listed as a comedy comes. yep showed up in there as Although comedy. that is disputed a Absolutely. little bit yep uh because it is uh not very funny uh and it's based on a story from the decameron by uh boccaccio which is also the source material for uh, Charles cresta 
um, or one of them, uh, and a well that Shakespeare pulls from many times. Although he's pulling from a translated version yes. by William Painter, mm-hmm. quite the name. Um, the Palace of Wonder Pleasure from 1595. Yeah. <laughs> Not painting. Well, it's an uh, ironic last name. I suppose. Uh, he was a translator, I guess. <laughs> Um, so that's where Shakespeare probably would have got it from. And he adds the bed trick to the story that's not in the original Decameron. Um, and uh, and he kind of takes it in this ironic, cynical place, I think, which is yeah. um, a, a, an interest, a bold choice, I suppose. I would agree. So as we mentioned, it is considered a problem play. Mm-hmm. Um Partly because of the ending, it yes. does end on theoretically a marriage again. Uh, it's it's ostensibly Bertram, mm-hmm. uh, the Count of Rosillon, uh, deciding to marry Helen. Uh, oh, but he's stay already married to her. Stay married to her. <laughs> but he's already said this once before and then abandoned sure. her. Uh, and there's again, his two lines are so similar to what he said in the past that you really don't have much of a sense of whether or not everything is well right like the play is going to end and nothing is going to change and i think that's the the when we finished watching the quite striking visually bbc version Mm -hmm. from 1981 that makes all this all the scenes look like um vermeer paintings come to life which is really quite impressive um we got to the end of that version and we were just like, well, we're right back where we started, right? Yeah. It really feels like nothing has been learned. Yeah. Um, so even though it hits all of these these things that a comedy needs, it has uh, mistaken identity and it has uh, a wedding and it has witty banter. And fools. It doesn't, and, and fools, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It doesn't, um, it feels like there's a deeper message to be learned here as Shakespeare's comedies often do it's not like this is a you know Merchant of Venice has that same kind of Mm -hmm. feel to it as well yeah not everything's Um, comedy of errors yeah right so I mean not completely un uh comedic but or or un uh Shakespearean I guess yeah I guess yeah but it still feels odd to end where we do and to have that ending be so ambiguous I guess Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's not helped that the the play is so cynical, as I said. It yeah. doesn't really seem to... It, in a lot of Shakespeare's plays, Romeo and Juliet, for example, or um, uh, Much Ado About Nothing, or any of the plays where like love is a central idea, yeah, yeah. love saves the day, yeah. right? And in this play, it's not... <laughs> not at all. Not at all. And I actually read... Um, <laughs> on Schmoop of all places, just doing some background research on the play, um, they suggest, and I'm sure others have suggested as well, that it's almost like Shakespeare has taken uh, common fairy tale tropes, common folkloric mm. traditions, yep. and has turned them on its head, or turned them on their heads. And so the idea that love conquers all, or that uh, the peasant girl, like Cinderella, could yeah. get her prince in the end, um, it's really calling to, into question, mm-hmm. and so it's almost like a like a fractured fairy tale in a weird way, um, yeah, which yeah. is it's kind of also a little bit unsettling because we come to expect from Shakespeare's comedies a level of well, romance almost. Yeah, to it. and it has a sheen of that. It has it has in some respects the similar conceit as um, Measure for Measure. No, I was going to say uh, A Midsummer Night's Dream, where oh, okay. uh, was it Helena or yes. one of them wanted the one and the other guy was like, no, I want nothing to do with you. And he goes off to the woods and, yeah. and tries to hide from her uh, with his real love. I mean, Demetrius, Demetrius is the one who ends up like they all end up with the yeah, potion. Exactly. And Demetrius yeah, ends is, and his potion hasn't been cleared. So he's yeah. still under a spell at the end. Yes. But but ostensibly everyone's happy at the end. Right. Shakespeare just kind of papers over that and doesn't address mm-hmm. it. Here it's like... It's the exact opposite. It's like, no, Bertram is really... There's no magic potion in this mm-hmm. one. He's still going to remain who he was. Which, A dick. Which, yeah, which <laughs> creates this whole ambiguity. Although I think uh, there's there's something to be said for Helen being a bit of a dick as well. Oh, sure. Um, so... Yeah, like it's it's it starts off with that same conceit and then just takes it in a completely different direction because it doesn't mm-hmm. have that magical element to paper over yeah. uh, when someone doesn't love someone yeah. and it's foisted on them. Uh, you know, that that is a... a 
it's a darker place. It's it's mm-hmm. not something that you would immediately think of. Oh yeah, that's hilarious because mm-hmm. and the play not. really isn't like it 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 again it it has the sense that yes all the elements are there of a comedy but because it keeps subverting them and the way it moves especially Helen uh, through her kind of journey mm-hmm. uh, it just denies any real comedic. Uh, foothold that the mm-hmm. that it gains in the early scenes. There's there's lots of preamble there. There's Helen talking with Parolis about his about virginity and how and you know warfare. And yeah, yeah, equating the two together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is also comes or up even later even again. some of the conversations between the king and Helena are are like interesting. She's a she's a, she's set up as like a, an interesting female character who's strong enough to go off and cure the king of France even though yeah. she's this poor orphan's woman and and you've got this relationship between the mother and uh sorry Bertram's mother the countess or whatever I guess. Yeah. And uh and Helena that you think is going to be adversarial but no, she's actually totally in support of Helena yeah. going off to wed Bertram. So there's there's a nice setup here for like a motherly godmother type character and the the helper king character that we see in folklore and fairy tales but yeah. then and in comedies but um but then the, the play yeah w- walks around them and yeah. says like oh well no she's actually going to be okay with Helen dying at the you know yeah. the, everyone thinks Helen's dead and everybody just moves on from it so quick like uh, yeah, Bertram comes back yeah and it just it yeah it's like these characters are not constant enough to uh to be supportive uh, or to fulfill that role of the fairy godmother well, or the yeah they're more human they're yeah, not exactly they're not archetypes mm-hmm. they're not character types yeah. they are people yeah. with conflicting desires and conflicting ideas and so it is kind of a a, a bit of a bucket of cold water on the uh, the fantasy yeah. idea of love and marriage coinciding with one another because yeah. in this play that that is not the case marriage doesn't fix everything even yeah. at the end when Bertram agrees to stay married to Helena after she's followed him to Italy um, tricked him into sleeping with her um, gotten his ring from him and yeah. impregnated by him which yeah. are the two things that he said he would he would need he would need in order to stay married, married to her. Yeah. Um, it doesn't feel like this is going to be a happy union at yeah. all. Yeah. And so, yeah, you've got to kind of wonder um, why Shakespeare... I, it really... You have to question what what's going on here. Why is Shakespeare choosing to, um, to do this with this story? And I don't know if I have an answer. No, me neither. I mean, I think <laughs> it's, it's just an interesting playground i think like honestly like reading it and especially uh the folder essay mm-hmm. uh, modern perspective one was really really great at focusing on the gender issues which i think mm-hmm. we'll talk about first um but it, it really feels like shakespeare is like okay i've done the heroine who cross-dresses here's a heroine who doesn't cross-dress what, what right. does that involve right and what comes out is just a really messed up set of uh understandings about what gender is and yeah. how uh the characters can have typified and created gender within the play Mm -hmm. and within the larger role because as you're reading the play it's very clear that yes Helen is a strong woman in the sense of she has something she wants and she goes and pursues it Um, but the way in which she does it is is quite interesting so I think we can we can talk about that a little bit yeah for um, sure to reveal that Um, the and I think the the way we can't talk about Helen's methods without talking about the bed trick. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the central things that um, that really sets apart. I mean, it's not an unusual thing to see in plays of this time, and Shakespeare's used it. You know, we just did Measure for Measure. Yep. There's a bed trick again yep. there, um, and of course, this isn't going to actually fool anybody in reality. Like, this is not something that. Most most men are going to know who they're sleeping with. Yeah. You know, you don't have to do it with the lights on necessarily <laughs> all the time. But it's meant to comment on the fact that men are dogs. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's kind of the implication every time is that the men are just so overwhelmed with lust that yes. they're just going to whatever woman they find in front of yeah. them, that's who they're going to screw. Exactly. Yeah. And that's even commented on in the play. I think yeah. that's something that Helena says. Yeah. Or Diana says. Somebody says it. Yeah. But... um. Uh, the fact that Helena still goes through with it, like I, I really don't understand her motivations here because it's clear that Bertram doesn't want her, yeah. and she's going through all of these, um, all of these motions. She's doing all of this stuff to trick him into staying married to her. It, it doesn't make her a very likable character. No, 
But I also don't think it's like she's I don't even know what word to use to describe her. Yeah. It's upsetting to see somebody so wholly devoted to somebody who Doesn't, cares nothing, nothing about, about them. And that's and that's really the the interesting part is that there's there's really no good characters anywhere in this play. To an extent, I guess the king is kind of held up. He does kind of stick to his... But then he doesn't. He doesn't stick to his word at all because as soon as she's dead, he's like, ah, I forgive him. He was yeah. just a, a youthful young boy, you know, off... And he fought fought for us in in, in uh, Italy and... Like, in yeah, but as soon as Helen comes back, then he's... He switches it up. I mean, it's... it's Yeah, all these characters, though, are just not... There's nobody who's really great. I guess the Countess, maybe, she's fairly consistent as well. But yeah, it's it's another... This is one of the problematic areas about the play, is that these characters are not really likable. Um, right. Helen, to an extent, you get it. She she wants something really bad. At least she has that going for her. Mm-hmm. Bertram's whole well, purpose is to not... Well, he wants something also. He just wants to not be with Helen. Well, exactly, so yeah. It's, it's the absence of wanting. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's 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 different. Um, let, let's start with gender, though, because I think that, mm-hmm. that kind of touches on a lot of the, the pieces. And I think talking about Helen herself um, is really, really important because how the play presents her is as a masculine woman who's very feminine. And that is mm. a very hard dichotomy to hold up, but Shakespeare makes it work somehow because... She does have these masculine traits. Uh, she does pursue uh, yeah. Bertram relentlessly. She goes to the, cure the king. She yep. sweet talks him. She uses cures logic and him. reason. <laughs> cures him. Does all the things that no other man in the in the realm of France could do. Yeah. Um, and she asks justly for a reward. Um, and then as soon as she's around Bertram, she kind of presents herself as like uh, a chaste. She wants yeah. to. She still wants to be the Elizabethan ideal, ideal of a woman, uh, but she has these desires and this drive that that's distinctly masculine. Right. So she winds up in this um, really odd dichotomy of striving for both at the same time, mm-hmm. and the play just doesn't know how to. And I don't think Shakespeare knows how to structure a character that way, and so that's why she comes off as either depending on how you view her uh she you could say she rapes bertram i mean she does force him to have sex against his will with someone uh and she she basically conquers his goal or his requirements that he's he set out as as like a a general like strategizing it and moving the pieces around on the board in order to put herself into this position yeah um which is like Kind of sleazy and and not not great, but at the same time you recognize that that's what she wants. Yeah. So again, she's and the whole time though she's trying to uphold these Elizabethan yeah. values, and the only way she can do it is through things like the bed trick. Like she has mm-hmm. to both, she has to she's married, but not she hasn't consummated the marriage mm-hmm. yet. So she has to find a way to do that. Uh, she has to um, become when, pregnant. Yeah, and when Bertram is like, "I want nothing to do with you," she goes on this uh, pilgrimage in right. order to. Claire, cleanse herself and and yeah. seek forgiveness for her sin of wanting him in the first place. But then right. she, as soon as she finds a chance, she goes and does it again. Yeah. So she's really just a very complicated character, yeah. and I think the play struggles a little bit with how to express her. Does that well, make sense? Well, I don't know if it's necessarily a struggle because I I see it as a very human uh, set of characteristics. Yeah. You know, and so it's. It's less, I think Shakespeare is playing with character much more than he's playing with her character specifically, mm. right? Where it's like, do I do I want to write these archetypal characters? You know, the virginal... Mm. Uh, pure woman, pure yeah. Pure woman, yeah. or yeah. the, you know, unsexed Lady Macbeth, like... Yeah. Or am I going to have them coexisting in the same person? Yeah. Is that more realistic, right? Yeah. And I think, I think there's an element... Even though this is a fantastical story that that borrows from Boccaccio and and is based on folklore and fairy tale, I mean, it still feels very much like a an attempt to capture reality, to capture a real a realness in that character, in all the characters, like all the things that you were mentioning, Aiden, about the characters being um, kind of conflicted and not constant. Yeah, I think are might be could be attempts at humanization humanization making them more realistic which is kind of interesting because literary realism is not something that 
you, you get a little bit more of it in in the restoration period, but I mean, yeah. up until this point, it really wasn't a thing. Yeah, your characters are mostly stock characters, even yeah. like the big ones, like Hamlet, that we we praise to this day as yeah. being having a lot of depth and nuance. He's still just the prince who's been wronged and is seeking revenge. Yeah, there's a very a very easy to understand character arc that that character is yeah. going to go through, yeah, and exactly. that's that's because of the requirements of the stage and the audience makeup and all that stuff. So yeah, um, so when you get Helen who circumvents a lot of that yeah. by by trying by having both by yeah. you know pursuing and at the same time making herself not pursuable or pursue not pursuing at all like yeah. being kind of chaste, silent, and obedient. Yeah. Yeah, how do you run into those conflicts? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, I don't think it's wholly unsuccessful, not successful. Yeah, I think I think it's just experimental. Yeah, well, and that's the thing; it it feels off compared to Shakespeare's other plays. I think maybe that's the better way of of explaining it. It certainly is different. Yeah, definitely. Um, One one thing to keep in mind throughout, and this is very in telling with the title, actually is that a lot of, uh, and this is again almost straight from the essay, uh, but Helen is always kind of described as being a not a thing. like, mm. uh, And that really comes to a head in the end when she says, when uh, Diana's kind of describing herself, she's not a wife, she's not yeah. this, she's not, she both is and isn't his wife. All these, all these kind of things that come together to be, um, to kind of describe the feminine characters yeah. in the play. Um, and it's... Uh, that kind of impacts Helen because she's always in this nether realm of not existing as mm-hmm. a man or a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a wife, but not wife. Not really wife. Yeah, yeah. Like, you yeah. know, like she's, she's really, really stuck in this thing. And again, at the end, despite having, uh, you know, become impregnated and closing, you know, maybe that loophole in the marriage, mm-hmm. um, you don't really get the sense that she is something yet still. you leave the play on this not situation again especially with diana also being offered the the opportunity of a husband again too Mm -hmm. so it's like this uh this cycle of uh nobody kind of existing as a firmament uh, especially the women uh, i guess more more for the women i think uh bertram's role is pretty clear he's a Mm -hmm. fighter above all he wants to be slash womanizer yeah yeah he's he's kind of a which are the same thing really (laughs) yeah exactly yeah he's i mean we can yeah actually that was my next point was bertram and and parolees are kind of like the masculine Mm -hmm. uh opposites in the fact that they they have their view of masculinity has nothing to do with married life whatsoever right um and so they both kind of avoid especially bertram uh so and going off to italy to fight in a war because france isn't fighting but italy is fighting so that's where let's go do some fighting but italy is also a place where you can sow your wild oats (laughs) you can get laid and and whatever so yeah i mean it's totally in keeping with their with their characters yeah yeah Um, Yeah, and so you when you have this kind of like active uh, masculinity and then the passive femininity of Mm -hmm. that Helen's kind of forced into um, but then but sorry go ahead no 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 I I, because gonna make a good point I was because (laughs) because there's a passive masculinity to um or or passive femininity maybe to um, Bertram falling for the bed trick and there's an active Mm. masculinity slash femininity to Helena's conjuring it up rotting across Europe to go find him yeah so it's not like they're they're even in those feminine like you said with Helena you made very good points about her being both Mm -hmm. Bertram is both too in a lot of ways yeah and at the end we see something with him that we have up until this point only see with female characters is that he's not given the chance to speak Speak, he has very very few lines so um all of this is unfolding around him and he kind of has to react passively there is no active role for him he's on the defense he's on the back foot the entire time when his definition of their relationship is again non-activity he just won't i won't bet her yeah you know i was forced to marry her but i won't bet her exactly that's his entire understanding of of sex even really to an extent is that this is like a non it's a uh, something he's not doing yes um in order that, to keep the stasis so that yeah. he doesn't have to, yeah yeah it's, yeah it's a, it's, it's, an it's a passive it's a passive exploration of masculinity yeah to contrast with helena's active femininity yeah which is unique i i don't remember <laughs> that happening in any other plays it is it's a very strange uh, it feels like there's again there's elements that that 
touch on it. Like All's Well mm-hmm. That Ends Well. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. That's the <laughs> much play we're ado, about. Much Ado About Nothing, sorry. <laughs> yes. uh, is, you know, uh, what's her name? Beatrice. Beatrice does have uh, a very active role in the sure. lovemaking. Right? Sure. Like the, the witty banter that, that defines her, her love with what's his name? Uh, Kenneth Benedict. Brown. Yeah, Benedict. <laughs> uh, so, you know, there, they, there, there is there's an active... Uh, participation on both parties there but this you don't you like, don't see the 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 switch in the masculine role there this is the i don't yeah, recall yeah. seeing that, any see, other yes, yeah. male character whose masculinity is, yeah. is i don't want to say it's taken away from him but it's subverted in some way yeah. or or there's just the opposite of what you would expect him to be yeah. In in that, yeah. you know? This is, yeah, that's unique. I like, can't think right. of another play where that happens. Because, yeah, how many times were the women never given a, a line after, like, I think of uh, Two Gentlemen of Verona exactly. all the way back then when yes. they were, well, we'll be married even though I tried to just rape you. Like, yeah, you right? Know, and, that, and they just walk off into the sunset. Or any, how many lines does Desdemona have? Yeah. How many lines do, does um, Ophelia have? Yeah. Right? Like, a lot of these female characters that we've talked about have very few lines compared to the male characters around mm-hmm. them. So, and that's just, we've commented on it before. People have commented on it all over the place for the last 450 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but Bertram is put in that place, and yeah. that's a unique place for a male character to be. Yeah. Why, some are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrown upon them. Um, moving on to society and class, I think just pretty basic understanding of this um, Bertram is high class, Helena is low class. They mm-hmm. both have the equalizing factor being their fathers have both died, so they're both orphaned, sort of, yeah. even though Bertram's mother is still alive. Yeah. And she's offered herself to be mother to Helena in a weird way. She's like, marry my son and I'll yeah. be your mother. It's weird. But either way, um, that even that, you know, being raised together, being like Helena's the ward of the countess, I think. And so... Um, but they don't have any quality of footing. No. And so Bertram refuses Helena on those grounds. And yes. the ring that he possesses, there's there are two rings that yeah. show up in the play, the king's ring and Bertram's ring. Um, the king does give Helena a ring as thanks for curing this fistula that he has. Um, and then Bertram says, the only way I will consider this marriage... Yeah. Uh, valid, I guess, is after you've gotten the ring off my finger and um, become pregnant with my child. Yeah. So you've got um, the the Bertram's ring represents his status in society, represents the um, the county of Rosillon yeah. or however you would call it, the duchy. I don't know what you... It's a county. Yeah. County? Yeah. Sure. Because yeah. he's a count. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, I just think of counties and I'm like, Cook County. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. gunslingers and stuff. I don't think of it as like French county. Anyway. Um, yeah, so, you, so he's this... he's a very wealthy influential person from a long line of wealthy influential people and the ring stands as that representation of that which he will not give to Helena because she's low class and the child that he has no intention of giving her would also be low class because she's low class that's it's weird that in a patrilineal society you'd have so much riding on the status of the mother but that's how it is. Well, right? and and it's and speaking of the other ring, the fact that it's the king's is yes. that he does step in and say like, okay, yes, she doesn't have the honor and riches and everything, mm-hmm. but I will provide it for her yeah, through exactly. my word alone. Basically, mm-hmm. he says like, you you don't have to worry about bloody that. king of France. Yeah, exactly. Right? I can like, make I can make her a noble if you want. Yeah. Like I can knight her, I guess, or whatever yeah. it is, right? And even that's not enough. And that's that's the other interesting thing about Bertram is that. That actual concern of his is kind of alleviated by the king, and the king gives her the ring uh-huh. that that basically symbolizes, symbolizes that. that. Absolutely. Um, so, is that really Bertram's yeah, of concern? Of course not. Yeah. So, what is it? Is it just literally the fact he doesn't want to be married at all? I right think now? that's part of it. I yeah. think that really is part of it. That he's he's a young man who doesn't want to be tied down. Even though I don't think he's that young. Yeah. It's it's kind tell. of hinted that Helena and Bertram are kind of the same age and Helena is is really referenced as like an old maid already yeah, yeah. like so that might also play into it that That's he, true. he if he is going to get married it's going to be to some young nubile Diana rather yeah. than um, the old this hag. old hag Helena <laughs> right 
Um, so yeah. that that might be too. But I think it's just I don't think it would matter. I think Bertram doesn't want to marry Helena, so he'll make up any excuse in the book to get yeah. out of it. If it wasn't her wealth and riches, it would be her looks. And if it wasn't her looks, it would be the fact that her father was only a doctor and not whatever. Yeah. It, like he would, she wears green, you know, too much. <laughs> yeah. Like it wouldn't matter. He yeah. doesn't, it, it's just, I think it's a symbol of um, just maleness when it yeah. comes to yeah. marriage. It, like, and it, it ties back against that, to that idea of masculinity that is in the play, which is, mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with, like Parole says, like, don't get married. You know, like, yeah. that's crazy talk. Like, women yeah. are the devil, I think. Or he says something along the lines of, like, yes, uh, true masculinity is like, in, yeah. in some form or another. Fair, fair, fair enough point. Um, Parole's kind of sums it up best as, like, the, warfare is your alternative right and pursuing right. that is is the truly masculine goal um and bertram falls for it and the ironic thing i guess is that proles is revealed to be an idiot <laughs> and yes. uh bertram is is kind of exposed uh to that idiocy um and but he doesn't he doesn't he never questions uh the advice that got him to this point but right. the play seems to be questioning it and that's kind of the interesting again it's one of those things that the play uh makes the play a little more difficult to just quickly analyze is the fact that is it saying that uh, that's not a good form of masculinity to pursue war and not women mm. or well yeah you know because like, and it's also interesting that Parolis has a very similar conversation with Helena at the beginning yes about sex and yes. Uh, or virginity specifically yeah. and, and said, warfare and he uses them well he uses warfare and he also uses a market thing he's yes. like sell it as soon as you can it, the value just plummets yeah. as you get older mm-hmm. and yeah so there's this alternative well the the masculine view of sexuality right. and uh, women's worthiness I guess mm-hmm. is very based on ownership and control and uh, of course purchasing mm-hmm. and warfare um, and yet Parolis is the idiot so yeah. like is it is it a questioning this is this is i mean the play well, is obviously questioning a lot of things about sexuality and gender here but is is that kind of the outcome of it or is it just shakespeare teasing and then the ending all's well that ends well kind of like sets everything back to the way it should be does that yeah, make sense i think so and i think <laughs> the other confounding factor or contributing factor depending on how you look at it is bertram's wound that he comes back with yeah um he claims that he got this in battle um but there's some question of whether or not it's a syphilitic yeah so the the mixing of sex and warfare right going off to italy to fight in wars and and bed a lot of women right has led to an injury to bertram um, whether that was gained on the battlefield or in the bedroom mm-hmm. is left kind of up to us yeah. to yeah. to question and to answer. But um, but it does seem like either way it's a consequence, a physical consequence of taking Parole's um, advice, advice, I yeah. guess, to yeah. go off to Italy in the first place, mm-hmm. right? So um, I think the mixing of the two is is an interesting thing and I think we're supposed to recognize both options as kind of folly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. In this play at least. I think in other yeah. plays Henry V valor on the battlefield is yeah. very important. Yeah. Um being a good wife and husband in other plays is very important, but in this play or sorry, I mean it, it's always very important to be a good wife and a good husband, but um we're we're allowed to see that having a lot of fun is also a worthwhile pursuit. Even like, yeah. you know, uh, Falstaff going around yeah, yeah, to all yeah. the taverns. Yeah. But in this play, we are kind of shown that war <laughs> and promiscuity are not necessarily going to get you good ends. The all's well, well yeah. is not going to end well Yeah, well, in and, that case. And Helen is kind of playing with that too because she's trying to be a good wife, mm-hmm. but the only way she can do it is by being a bad wife. You know, yeah, like yeah. by pursuing it and having these masculine traits yeah. and not being silent, chaste, and obedient. She's yeah. literally trying to get laid and yeah. she does nothing but talk all I'll play. I mean, she right, doesn't right, talk that right. much, but yes. But, you know, like she she has these alternative 
uh, or an alternative path in order to achieve the goal that society's laid out for. I mean, right. the essay is really great as explaining like she's really been messed up by the patriarchy that she's yeah. living in, you know, like where she she's I could be not such allowed. a good wife if only I was I you know, yeah. I just have to do all this horrible horrible stuff and then you'll see I'm just I can be silent, chaste and obedient right, just like just everyone else. Just let me do all this bad stuff. Bad it's, in air quotes. In yeah. air quotes, but yeah. yeah, you're right. Like it it's she's like Juliet acting out within the bounds that society has put around her. Mm-hmm. That's that's what she's given. I don't fault her for it. I do fault her a little bit for the bed tricks. I think that's just nasty. But um, like I, I kind of understand where she's coming from. But I also think like just marry somebody else too, right? Like clearly yeah. this guy doesn't want you. You could find a better match. Yeah. Like it, it, I don't know. It's yeah. It's, it's, it's a little a, it's bit. Annoying play it's that it's way. a it's a, it's weird that way. <laughs> Why then the world's mine oyster, which I with sword will open. So the king is a character we haven't really talked about much yet, yeah. and I think his role is really interesting when we talk about the theme of old age versus youth. Really, mm-hmm. um, at the beginning of the play, when we first meet him, he's been afflicted with this fistula, um, very painful condition, not curable by many conventional means at the time um and uh and quite painful and it could be fatal i imagine in in many cases well it's, it's designed for, or they talk about it like well no i'm dead like it's basically de- like death is coming yeah but um so the king has this incurable disease and he is um bedridden and very unwell at the beginning and so helena's attempt at curing him is I mean, the stakes are very high, obviously, mm-hmm. right? And uh, it's like his decrepitude is. I think at one point, it, it like they they make mention of the fact that the fistula means that he can't stand up. Yeah. And I think that's a reference to him not being able to achieve erection yeah, anymore. Yeah. Yep. So his virility is gone. As a king, you need to have that youth and vitality in order to run your kingdom Mm -hmm. and unfortunately the king is suffering and can't do that anymore um helena returns that to him and i think that's an important thing for for us to recognize because the king does act very saucily with her after that right well a little bit i mean in the bbc production they went and I think in a lot like, of productions they do. Yeah. I think they lean into that, that because you want to contrast the king at the beginning versus the king who's been cured. Yeah. He's a different kind of, you yeah. know, he's dancing and he's, you know, in the BBC version we watched, he like makes out with Helena yeah, right afterwards. Yeah. Like it's very, yeah. it's odd. Yeah. But it, it, I think it's meant to contrast the idea that the king started out on death's door. He was not virile. He was very old yeah. on like dying yeah. versus this new lease on life that he has at the end. Yeah. Um, which is just a common, I think it's a common theme when you, you know, we're going to be doing Lear next. Uh, another great example Very of a big, king yeah. who's on the way out yeah. and has to make decisions about what to do next. And this, in this play, it's interesting that the king who spends so much time, you know, thinking about his youth and the nostalgia for the past and everything like that, inserts himself into the youthful follies of the young people around him. Mm-hmm. Is that him trying to recapture that youth? Is he uh, just trying to exert control over his subjects, the nobility around him? I, although Diana is not noble. Yeah. Um, his his wanting to give her a husband like he gave Helena. It's like he looks at that and it's like, yes, I did a good job. Now I'm going to do it again. I'm a matchmaker <laughs> all's, all's extraordinary. Well, well, yeah. Right. Yeah. But um, so is he really like I, I, I would argue that he has not changed at all during the course of the play only he's a little healthier at the end um but this new lease on life if you want to call it that hasn't given him any wisdom or extra abilities yeah. i don't know how to read that yeah it's me neither because it, it is just it is just him uh kind of playing the youthful role again Mm -hmm. it's it's in the same way that bertram plays soldier and And helena plays wife yeah it's it's just another kind of a role you put on yeah and and it's odd because uh he's not a good king in the sense that he doesn't get his subjects to do what he wants Mm. he can't get bertram to actually marry her 
Um, and he doesn't punish Bertram really in the end for, for his disobedience or anything. It's what was, was his, was the underlying problem of the King being old actually fixed? And yeah, the answer no. is no, no, because you can't cure age. So it, it, <laughs> it, it was a symptom of, uh, his age and removing the symptom did not remove the underlying condition. No. So, uh, yeah, so the, this whole idea that the king is going to be a youthful man again is obviously a lie. Yeah. Um, and again, yeah, the play's aware of that. And that's, yeah. that's, that's again, I'm coming back to it again and again and again. The play's aware of all these uh, undercurrents that it's playing with. Yeah. And it just, it refuses, again, like any good problem play, I guess, refuses to give us a straight answer on and where it's headed. That awareness, I think, is coming back to that idea of Shakespeare's playfulness with these characters because um, the idea of this helper king, which is something you see in fairy tales and folklore, mm-hmm. yep. um, is what the king is trying to be. Yeah. And kind of is to an extent, at least Helena gets what she wants from this helper king. But he's he's not much good for anything else. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so, again, it's, it's a role that um, Shakespeare has... Kind of foisted on the character. Yeah, yeah. given to that character... And has decided that's the that's the important thing that yeah. the that this character does. But it is in a fractured fairy tale kind of way, where yeah. it's, it just it's like well, it's we're not... going to give him this role, but they're still human, and yeah. obviously no human can fulfill a, a no a fairy tale. But he role. doesn't know. It's almost like he doesn't know that he's not the fairy tale <laughs> yeah. king. Yeah, it's like he's right? trying really hard. Helena to be doesn't the fairy. know that she's not Cinderella. Yeah. Bertram doesn't know that he's not Prince Charming. Well, he doesn't want to be Mr. No, but I think he thinks that he could be. He could be, yeah. Well, right? he maybe he, he really thought he would be with Diana, right? Right, exactly. Or with sense. any of the other women that he's trying to sleep yeah. with, right? So, I mean, there's... there's Bertram's a dick. <laughs> the, the play is very much aware of it. The characters aren't, and I like that irony. Yeah. Very much so. Have it be coward! Speaking of lying to yourself, uh, just a quick note. I thought it was uh, really interesting in the uh, Folger essay. They pointed out there was a... There's two scenes of liars caught lying. Yeah. Perola's, uh, you know, after he went off to capture that drum and then they, they tease and catch him just like yes. they did with uh, Falstaff and they have a good laugh about it. Um, but then there's a much more serious version of that when uh, Bertram is caught lying about yeah. the rings and sleeping In with Diana. In front of his mother and the and, king and, yeah, and everybody. And like, and... you know, lying to the king. He's going to prison. It could be a death sentence. Very much like measure for measure. Yeah. There's yeah. like a, a comeuppance. Scene, yes, exactly. And nice. it's... Uh, interesting they're both concerned very much about virginity and, yeah. and sex but um yeah so i mean the, the, there's this uh desire to fill a role that mm-hmm. both of those characters have Prolis mm-hmm. wants to be the powerful soldier and bertram wants to be the prince charming i guess he he's considering marrying uh what's that guy's name lafleur lafuse Le, Le uh daughter uh is kind of a quick match made at the end of the play and yeah in a just to draw contrast and everything yeah um so they they both kind of pursue this and then they just keep digging themselves deeper and deeper down these lies mm-hmm. in order to continue to pursue that role. Um, and then they realize at the end that they're kind of wiped out of power and, yep. and they're they're actually powerless in this in this lie, um, which I think is probably the most morally upright part of the play is the fact that the liars definitely get caught in all of their lies. Sure. Uh, it's the one element that that does ring like a fairy tale to an extent yeah. i guess yeah um but yeah that was just just a thing i don't know if you had anything to add on that one Lindsay. no i think you said it so all right if i longer stay we shall begin our ancient bickerings so for today's ancient bickerings we've decided to answer the question that the title of the play kind of sets up for us is all's well that ends well yeah. does the play end well i guess <laughs> Or is everything well? Is everything well in at the, the ending end of, of the play? play. Um, Aiden, I will allow you to go first. All right. Um, I we talked about this beforehand because uh, I think we both wanted to answer no, but I will answer yes, Lindsay. Because, <laughs> okay. Uh, I think I think Shakespeare, having after played, having played with all of that, I think I feel like the big deal is that is the ambiguity has been. Uh, released from Helen's position. And I think that ambiguity is entirely around married but not wived. Okay. He didn't he would not bet her. 
after he's bedded her, the play's over, basically. And it resolves into this thing where he really doesn't have a choice anymore. Yeah. The, the, the Catholic and up to that point, I'm sure Protestant uh, dogma as well, was basically, if you don't consummate the marriage, the marriage hasn't actually been fulfilled. So yeah. he could still go around gallivanting and saying, yeah, okay, I'm married, but not really. And yes. he could tell the the ladies that he's catching syphilis from that this is the case <laughs> as well. Unless uh, Helen gave him syphilis, but we didn't, we didn't talk about that. That's fine. Uh, but, uh, you know... Uh, so he he's he's kind of playing in that ambiguity, and that's where his character lies. Okay. Um, with that ambiguity gone and explained in front of him, the other line is like, "If she can prove to me that this is the case, then I'll love her a lot." Th- those are her, his two lines, basically. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the play, and maybe she won't be able to prove that it's his kid. Like that's the other thing. There's still yeah. some ambiguity there, but I feel like uh, he. Everybody's going to tell him, uh, Diana, the widow, everybody's going to say, yeah, no, this is exactly what she did. Um, he, There's no ambiguity left there. So the central conflict of whether or not Bertram will marry Helen is over at this point. So that conflict being over, Helen's got what she wanted. Bertram's going to have to deal with it. And all's well that ends well. So, so from a purely <laughs> literary analysis standpoint... Right, you 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 no, this solve is from, this the is conflict. <laughs> Therefore, the story has come has, to has an a end. happy ending. There's a denouement that is uh, two lines is all I need for my denouement, baby. It's it's quick and easy. Uh, yeah. Okay. That, that's well, I'd it's say an less answer. From a I'd say it's less <laughs> from a literary and more from like the 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 sociological perspective of the Elizabethan Watcher. They'd be like, oh yeah, that was a good ending because they're married now officially. Okay. I feel like an Elizabethan peasant walking around would be like, yeah, that was a happy ending. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I mean, I, I I don't think you're wrong. You should. But <laughs> but I, I don't. I obviously take the no side on this. Okay. I took the easy way out. Um, and stick, staked my claim on, on, the, <laughs> on the no side. The, the no side. Um, just because I think if the play itself questions the ending the Hmm. king gives this speech at the end where he's like i'm gonna paraphrase it he's like if all is well as it seems to be or whatever um which leaves that question in the mind of of uh, an observant reader observant audience member right i don't think that line is put in there unless we're meant to question how the ending works and how it functions None of the characters learned anything through this. They all kind of end up right where they were at the beginning when the problem kind of presented itself. This marriage that nobody wanted except for Helena. Um, And yeah, none of the characters have moved past that or gone beyond that. Bertram certainly hasn't learned anything, even though he's been tricked into impregnating his wife, which is like a horrible storyline that I think you're absolutely right. Helena rapes Bertram. Like it's there's no question that that would... In, at least in a modern yeah. court, it would, you know, um, there was no consent there. <laughs> so it it's very iffy. Helena, yes, absolutely has this desire, but she's achieved it through kind of underhanded means. So she's yeah. not, yeah. you know. Yeah, okay, I so you're poking the obvious holes in my bad. No, but, <laughs> but I think I think when you, the, your person, I don't know why I'm helping you, but <laughs> your perspective is... Like, from a literary criticism standpoint, if you were filling out a plot chart for this, or a plot diagram, right, you would say the conflict has been solved. The conflict was how does, how do Helena and Bertram exist together? And and they they do at the end. There's tacit agreement that this is how things are going to go. It's just from a a deeper human level it really seems unsatisfactory it's, it's hollow it's like a it's hollow very victory. hollow yeah yeah right yeah. and and the fact that the king hasn't learned shit like he's going <laughs> off he's like hey i'm such a great matchmaker diana you want my i'm gonna open up a business yeah. and like no <laughs> no like yeah. you've learned absolutely nothing mm. from this yeah. Like where's Paroles in all of this? What is he? Well, he remember, nothing? well, he comes back at the end, and he's 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 officially transferred to a service or to the to a right. fool role, right? He's actually kind of 
maybe he's learned more than any of the other characters because he's like fuck being a soldier I'm not I'm not cut out for this I'm gonna be a fool back home because that's way easier right Um, and there's another fool at home which is I suppose I suppose I suppose there are some lessons to be learned that have been learned but but I just think for the main characters the the play ends on such an unsatisfactory note that it's really hard to uh, to say that it's that the title holds true. Yeah, it's unlike Measure for Measure, which had this sense of justice coming down yeah, at the end. And even though, even though there wasn't, again, a, a royal figure stepping mm-hmm. in and playing matchmaker, although in that one it's himself sizing up whatever her name was, right. Isabel or the, mm-hmm. the purely virginal girl. Um, yeah, like this one is just like, there, it's, it's absent that sense of moral authority mm-hmm. in part because no character has been set up to have that moral authority unlike right. the duke in measure for measure he was always kind of observing and watching and he was kind of the the uh, objective outsider keeping track on all the bad things that everybody was doing mm-hmm. um there's nobody like that here uh it's really helen is kind of the closest we get and yeah she rapes a dude so it's like yeah. what what's yeah. really where are we supposed to stand as the audience and yeah. it's it's not really clear I don't think so. I, I think you win, definitely. For, yeah, for sure. I, yeah. I, you you got to like my resolve for coming up with something that <laughs> is positive about that ending. Parting is such sweet sorrow that I shall say goodnight till it be morrow. So what's up next on our docket? Ooh, one of our favorite ones that we've been talking about the whole way through. We're going to finally talk about it, uh, hopefully with some guests. Uh, Shakespeare in the 90s. Yes. Uh, what up with that? And uh, we'll we'll talk uh, about all the movies and the adaptations and the general uh, milieu mm-hmm. that was feeding the Shakespeare craze in that decade. Absolutely, um, which will be fun, I think. Yeah. And then after that, Lindsay, we have King Lear. You mentioned King Lear. Yes. Uh, that's kind of exciting. I I think we read we read it in university. I remember that. Yeah. Um, seen it performed a couple times. Yeah. Uh, is there a good film version though? I don't remember. I remember a, a filmed version of a play. Yes, that we watched. So I mean, that might be there one. There might that's... be one around. Yeah, but I, I no. But I mean, like, is there a big budget Hollywood? I don't think. So. I don't think the one. Was but there might done. be an adaptation or something that because I feel like Lear is one of those plays that oh, can be. Yes. No, Kurosawa did one. We're watching. Yeah, that. I think you're right. Yeah, you're is right. Is it Ran or Rain? There's an R and an A and an N. I don't good remember the, the, the name of the movie. But we, we'll probably watch that one and talk about <laughs> yeah. that one then. Yeah, because I feel like it's a good, uh, like, it, it's relatable. I think anytime you have family dynamics yes. like that playing And an older it. father figure yep. passing. Daughters around. fighting. Yeah, you know. there, there's just lots of, there's lots of fodder there. Which will lead us into our next uh, episode after that, which is Shakespeare and family dynamics. So Perfect. I think that'll be a nice, uh, nice it's almost like we planned it, it or something. It like yeah. we sat down over beers one day at our local pub and hammered out like a schedule yeah. three years ago. Except for All's Well That Ends Well. Really doesn't have much to do with the 90s, but um, it was a phrase that no, people No, uh, I think, I think the, 90s. the 90s were All's Well That Ends Well. Were they? We could debate that. I know we debate that all the time. All were the, the 90s a good decade? Heck yes. I preferred the 80s, but <laughs> what I remember uh, of them. Yeah, your four years of consciousness. Okay, that's all for this episode. Thanks for joining us. I'm Layden. I'm Lindsay. Lindsay. Are we, are, that's how we're ending this That's episode? how we're ending this one this time. I guess. You can find all our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast fix. If you want to tell us what you think of Shakespeare, his plays, poems, or any of the topics we discuss, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us on Twitter, that's at the Bixpod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash thebixpod, or by email at thebixpod at gmail.com. That's our cue to exit.